0: I'm going to invite each of you to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. God tells Moses in Exodus 33, No one may see me and live. Now, the redemptive irony to that statement is that we find several examples in the Scriptures where people do see God, at least in his veiled form. Each of these encounters throughout the scriptures, I believe, are a foretaste of heaven, where God unveils himself and anticipates the day that we will see the Lord in all of his glory. Now, I searched and discovered that every single book of the Bible, with the exception of maybe a few short New Testament letters, has at least one, if not many, references to vision, to sight, or the matter of the eyes. Our eyes, the eyes of our bodies... We're made ultimately to see God. But in order to see God, we must meet his requirement for holiness. Holiness is the goal of the Christian life, even as we seek to seek the face of God in Christ. Well, as we prepare this morning for communion and to meet with our Savior, let us hear from these words as we grow in his likeness. Hebrews 12 verse 14 Make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy without holiness no one will see the Lord And then turning over briefly to 1 Peter chapter 1 in verses 15 and 16 Peter writes But just as he who called you is holy so be holy in all that you do For it is written Be holy because I am holy. This is God's holy and inspired word. Let us pray. Father, the command to be holy strikes terror in our hearts if we be not found in Christ Jesus. We thank you that in Him, the righteous one, we have protection, a refuge. And we pray that you would teach us and stir us up, even as you call us to grow and advance in our own holiness. And we ask your blessing upon this time and your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Many of you are aware of our daughter's eye conditions, which she has endured since her birth. Uh, Soon after our daughter was born, almost seven years ago, our doctor discovered that she had congenital cataracts. And uh, consequently, uh, before the surgery she had, she could see almost nothing. Uh, She was only vaguely aware through her other sense perceptions of a visual reality outside of herself. Well, after the removal of her cataracts and being equipped with uh, proper prescription lenses, our daughter has enjoyed very good vision. And then about two years ago, the doctor discovered that in one of her eyes, she was developing glaucoma. And after failed attempts to use eye drops to contain that elevated eye pressure, which causes damage to the optic nerve, we had to resort to a specialized surgery, which thankfully has been very successful. And even to this day, though, we have to maintain a regular regimen of eye drops and regular visits to the doctor, which our daughter will have to do the rest of her life. Uh, to preserve the vision that she has, which thankfully uh, is quite good. And we are grateful to God for his faithfulness and the prayers of so many of you. I'm convinced that my daughter's experience provides a parallel to the Christian life. Like her, each of us are born blind, spiritually. The Scriptures describe our conversion as passing out of darkness and into light. We require the radical surgery of God to remove the cataracts from our hearts that we might see him, know him, and love him. But this is not a one-time fix job. The Christian life requires an ongoing maintenance. You see, just as if if my wife and I neglected to give our daughter her eye drops, or if we refused to go see the doctor on a regular basis, the result would be a further damage and diminishing of her vision. And likewise, in the Christian life, if we lack a holy discipline, we can harm our walk with God. You see, in our flesh, we can develop a kind of spiritual glaucoma as the pressures of this life cause us to dim our view of Christ and diminish our passion to follow him. God tells us in this word, be holy. Because he is holy. That's a tall order. But as we understand the gospel, and all of the precious resources that we have in Christ, we realize that we have been equipped with everything that God intends us to become. What is required is a Vigilant pursuit of holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Now, biblical holiness can be understood in two different dimensions. All of us who have put our trust in Christ have already been declared holy. This is a legal act of God. Christ, by his sacrificial and substitutionary death in our place, has absolved us of the guilt of our sin. If you're a Christian, you have been forgiven of all of your sins, past, present, and future, by putting faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. This is what the Bible calls justification. God sees us as holy, just as if we had never sinned. Like the government bailout package that promises to wipe out the toxic debt ruining our credit markets. Christ's merit has been credited to our account, free of charge and without taxpayer money. The other dimension of holiness is sanctification. This is not a one-time event, but rather an ongoing process. See, justification is completely the work of God. We contribute nothing to it. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 10 says, We have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Justification is based upon what Christ has done. Sanctification is the process by which God makes us holy, and it's something that we participate in. It's both the work of God and man as God seeks to make us holy in the likeness of Christ. Hebrews thirteen twenty one says that God will equip us with everything good for doing his will and will work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ. And it's to this latter calling of sanctification that I want to turn our attention to this morning. Holiness means set apart. Israel was a holy nation set apart from their surrounding neighbors. You see, these other nations were characterized by gross immorality and pagan worship of false idols. They practiced cult prostitution. They sacrificed their own children to false gods. And their behaviors provoked the wrath of God by all of its abominations. And consequently, those nations suffered the judgment of God By the people of God, foreshadowing the great and awesome day of judgment that is to come. Now, the Mosaic Law, with all of its restrictions and ceremonies, was intended not to make up people righteous, but to preserve the people from the filth of this world. It also intended to communicate this point: God is holy; He will tolerate no impurity or immorality. And so, his people are to be characterized by his holiness as a witness to the world, a world of filth and uncleanliness, what it means to be restored into fellowship with our creator. Now, the book of Hebrews is largely communicating the fact that of the, new, the new covenant being superior in Jesus Christ to the old covenant through Moses the new covenant is based upon better promises that have been fulfilled in Christ. We now have a better mediator, one superior to Moses. Christ is our, both our representative and our redeemer. He is our high priest who has offered up his own blood to make atonement for our sin. He has made a final sacrifice once and for all. And even now he continues to intercede for us before the throne of God. And if we have been identified with him by faith, we ought to be like him in character. But now this calling to be holy, the Bible teaches, is not simply based upon our willpower. We live in a culture that emphasizes willpower, self-help. You can find a multitude of books these days on self-help, how to improve yourself, your image, your skills, your health, your dieting, your exercise, your professional skills. But real change, the Bible says, does not come from within. It comes from without. Holiness is from the Lord. Earlier in this chapter 12 of Hebrews, we're exhorted to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And then in verse 4, we are reminded that he is the source of power as we struggle with our sin. And likewise, verse 12 reminds us that we are to strengthen our feeble arms and weak knees in Christ. Holiness is what we become as we trust Jesus and seek him daily, set apart as a a display for his honor and glory. Now, one thing to point out as we look into this text in verse 14 well, notice that holiness is not simply a private matter. There is a relational component to holiness. We're challenged in this verse to pursue peace with all men and holiness. There's an error, I believe, in Christian circles that assumes that holiness is simply something I do. It's just between me and God. But rather, the Bible teaches that a holy life must manifest itself in relationship with other people. The following verses in Hebrews 12 gives us a string of community orders uh, exhorting us to look out for one another. See to it that no one misses the grace of God. Prevent bitterness from causing division in the body. Verse 16 says, See to it that no one is sexually immoral or godless like Esau who sold his birthright. Earlier in Hebrews 3 We are told to encourage one another that none of us may become hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Holiness, then, is a community project. And if we would desire to see God's work in our midst, we must take up the collective responsibility to pursue holiness together. It only took one man's sin, Achan, whose covetous greed in swiping both gold and a garment caused the entire nation of Israel to suffer and fell in defeat before the men of the city of Ai. There's an assumption in our highly individualistic culture that says something to the effect that what I do behind closed doors is nobody else's business. It's my money. It's my time. These are my rights. But Scripture, I believe, would challenge us That we as the people of God have a responsibility within within the body to encourage one another to live a life that is pleasing to God. Are you concerned about Christians who chronically miss worship on a regular basis? Are you concerned about a brother and sister in Christ who is accumulating massive amounts of debt that they cannot possibly repay? Now, in this tolerant age in which we live, we are told not to judge. And the Bible would tell us not to be judgmental. We are not to pry or to be gossipy. But at the same time, we cannot ignore the weaknesses and the struggles of our fellow believers. Secret sin impacts the entire community. And so we are called to pray, to be compassionately bold to hold one another accountable, and to be accountable in a loving Christian community that is open, that is candid with one another, recognizing that we all struggle with sin of various kinds. How can we possibly fault the U.S. banking system for its reckless lending practices, its lack of accountability and transparency, if we are not modeling the kind of community support and holiness to a culture in decay all around us. As we have learned in this recent economic crisis, it really does affect all of us. While we are called to a kind of corporate holiness, we also understand that each of us individually has a responsibility to pursue holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. On one occasion, Jesus was approaching the city of Jericho, and a blind man cried out to him for mercy. And not wanting to be presumptuous, Jesus turned to the man and asked him, what do you want me to do for you? And the man replied, Lord, I want to see. And Jesus graciously granted his request. Just think, the very first thing that Bartimaeus saw was the face of Jesus Christ. In your struggle with sin, as you fight your daily battles of finance and work and relationships, as you wrestle with your own doubts, your insecurities, perhaps you feel like your job is threatened. Perhaps you're concerned about the tightening credit crisis. Maybe the burden of the markets weighs upon your shoulders. In an election season, the polls have you rattled. What do you most want? As you cry out to God for mercy in these trialsome days, and he responds, what do you want me to do for you? How do you answer? Well, I don't believe you can do any better than Bartimaeus. Lord, I want to see. I want to see you in all of your glory, as Moses requested. Yet when asked, Solomon replied, requesting wisdom. He got that, and riches, and all kinds of trouble. Let me ask you, would you rather be like Solomon or Bartimaeus? Would you be like those Greeks in John chapter 12, who went up to Jerusalem for the feast and approached Philip, requesting, Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Grandparents love to see their grandchildren. George Bush loved to see Congress finally pass that bailout package. We love to see old friends after a long absence apart. But you know what? The greatest thing about heaven will not be renew- reunion with old friends. It'll be Jesus. But yet, Scripture warns us, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Jesus replied to Nicodemus, No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Are you? Have you abandoned good works and earthly treasures in order to trust in Christ? Or perhaps like the rich young ruler who couldn't part with his stuff and follow Jesus? Turned away in dismay. And Christian, if you trust him, do you love him? Jesus asked Peter three times, do you love me? And Jesus teaches in John 15, if you love me, you will obey what I command you. You see, we cannot desire God without also desiring holiness, without which... No one will see the Lord. Do we desire holiness more than our financial security, popular approval? Do we desire holiness more than good health, comfort, entertainment? And the list goes on and on with all kinds of alternatives. You know, you don't need any of these things to go to heaven. But you do need holiness. The Bible in Proverbs challenges us to guard our heart as the apple of your eye. We're very protective of our eyes, aren't we? My wife and I are very disciplined in cleaning my daughter's contact lenses. We put them in in the morning. We apply a moisturizing drop so it can stay in there all day. We take it out in the evening and we sanitize it through the night. We give her her eye drop to keep her pressure down. It's very motivating to do this kind of discipline. My mother, in recent years, has come down with glaucoma in both of her eyes. And she has had surgery, and she on goes with with medication. And thankfully, her vision is good, and she intends to keep it as strong as possible for the remainder of her days in this life. Well, as diligently as we are with our physical health and our physical vision, how is our care with our spiritual vision? You see, we live in this world of sin that clouds our vision. We live as if in a mist, and we need God's grace daily to break through those clouds. We need his grace to see our sin. You see, we are tempted like Achan, like Lot's wife to go after material things. Our eyes covet what we cannot have. With our eyes, we lust like Samson and Solomon who sought forbidden flesh. May we be like Job, who made a covenant with his eyes not to look lustfully at another. We're tempted to judge others, to give people the evil eye. Jesus tells us to take the log out of your eye, that you might see and help your brother with a speck in his own eye. This is why we are here, friends. We come to corporate worship on a regular basis for our vision check. We take communion on a regular basis to restore us, to renew our vision that we might see him. We, have, we exercise service and fellowship and Bible study and prayer, all of which are means for our regular correction and preservation. Because these means of God's grace point us to the one who can heal us, who can restore us, and who will raise us up to the mountaintop. To see him in all of his glory, even as he remakes us and fashions us into his very likeness. And I close with these words of 1 John 3, 2 and 3 again. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Let's pray. Gracious God, you've given us a high and holy calling to seek purity and righteousness, and we know that in ourselves we fail. We cannot meet your standard, but we gladly receive in Jesus Christ our holiness and our righteousness, and we pray that you would restore us. Give us vision to see you, that we may follow you and serve you and love you. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.